0: Welcome to NC15 from CFA Society, North Carolina. I'm your host, Peter Bernal. This podcast brings you an unbiased lens on finance and investing through short conversations. Our guests are the most interesting and accomplished people. In a concise format, we discuss the top issues or salient questions impacting our guests. This week, I'm delighted to welcome Alan McKnight, Alan is an Executive Vice President and Chief Investment Officer for Regents Asset Management. In this role, he is responsible for overall investment strategy, portfolio, and risk management, and portfolio construction for approximately $50 billion in assets under management. Alan is also responsible for the development and execution of investment policies, strategy, and tactics, and is Chairman of the Investment Working Group. He is the Chief Spokesperson with Media Groups on Portfolio Strategy asset allocation, and overall markets for the bank. Prior to joining Regents in 2015, Allen held senior leadership roles with SunTrust Equitable Asset Management and Morgan Stanley. Allen has a bachelor's degree in economics from Washington and Lee University and a master's degree in business administration from the University of Texas at Austin. He holds the charter financial analyst designation and is a CFA Institute member. Alan serves on several board of directors for prestigious organizations. We talked with Alan about his investment philosophy and what issues worry him, ways to improve as an investment professional, and how to build a winning culture. Welcome, Alan. Thank you for joining us today. I have kept up with your success over the years and actively follow your market commentary. I'm thrilled to have you join our NC15 podcast.
1: Great to be here, Pedro. Thanks for having me and love the opportunity to be in front of such a prestigious group in North Carolina.
0: In 1981, David Bowie and Queen jointly wrote a song called Under Pressure, appropriate for the time as pressures from inflation, interest rates, and unemployment, to name a few, took center stage. 40 years later, we're again feeling the pressure. Many characterize the worldwide pressures as pushing down on me, pushing down on you. With all these pressures in mind, how does your investment philosophy adjust to the environment that the best investors describe as never seen before in history?
1: Uh, As the Grateful Dead would say from their 1977 album, what a long, strange trip it's been. And certainly it's been that way over the last 18 months, but I can say that's been the case over the last couple of decades. So while the most recent history certainly feels different to all of us as investors, I think we've seen such a tumultuous market. And we've seen so many ups and downs over the last couple of decades that it's it's borrowing from Mark Twain and that history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. And the fact is that while we're seeing assets and specifically risk assets move predominantly higher right now, the S&P is trading at all-time highs. Other risk assets are trading at all-time highs. We have things such as crypto in the market. We have NFTs in the market. It really looks very different, yet at its core it's really about valuing assets. And so as we think about how do we move forward, how do we as investors examine our investment philosophy? I think the core is to focus on what you can control, focus on what you can do well, which is really understanding valuations, which is understanding where you want to place money, and then not allowing as much of a noise to get in the way. Because it's very easy, particularly with social media today, whether it be online, whether it be within the markets, wherever it, wherever you find it, you're bombarded with information flow. And so the more you can try to put guardrails on that, and really, again, focus on things that you can control in that process, the more successful you'll be.
0: As you work through your valuations and your perspective on the markets, what do you recommend for the next couple of years?
1: So as we think about the next couple of years, one of the primary themes that we have is around equities over bonds and the fact that with rates where they are in the 10 year at approximately 1.4, 1.45, it's very difficult for us to get excited about bonds right now. We've seen an incredible bull market in bonds. And I doubt that almost anyone listening to the podcast will remember a time when they were at a cocktail reception or party and someone came by with a bond tip or hot idea in bonds. And yet, when you look back to 1981, when the 10-year is at over 15% and we're now down at 1.4%, it's been an incredible run. Now, the flip side of that is it's problematic going forward. It's been punitive to savers. And with rates maintaining that low level, it's just difficult to find a way where expected returns and fixed income will be predominantly higher than what we've seen over the last couple of years. So that fact then drives the next component, which is around equities And despite the run and at all-time highs in the S&P 500, as well as in a number of other equity asset classes, we still think that equities are fairly valued, particularly with the belief that the economy can continue to grow. We've seen some of that growth pushed out into 22. It's not as robust in the third quarter or likely in the fourth quarter as we would have hoped, but that growth is really being pushed out to 22. And therefore, if companies can continue to grow their top lines and not be too much impacted by the cost side. We know inflation is running higher, but as long as companies are able to pass those costs along, then operating margins should be sustained. We're at a um, over decade high in operating margins right now in the S&P, but we still think that companies can grow. And I ha- and if I have to choose between various asset classes, I would prefer to have the, the long tailed growth of equities rather than being constrained in a low rate world within equities There are a host of ways that you can play that and ways in which we're recommending to clients to to move forward in that environment. But at its core, it's around allocation to equities and then other asset classes perform more similar to equities, even if that goes out into the spectrum on mid-cap, small cap, emerging markets, and developed international. So that's really how we're we're framing it up today as it relates to how we look out over the next couple of years. We have, from an asset allocation perspective.
0: Is there anything out there from an investment type that scares you today?
1: Certainly, there, there are a host of things that scare me. And as, as I always like to tell people, there are a multitude of things that keep me up at night. Um, and so it really is just a matter of determining which one on any given day or evening that's gonna bother me. And, and I think what we start, and our premise we have as we start the discussion is around not falling prey to fighting the last battle. I think it's really easy as an investor to worry about the thing you've experienced. So for me, that's the subprime debacle of 2008, the 97 Asian debt crisis, the tech bubble of 2000, and even going back to the 87 crash from some of my early mentors and their experience there and, and conveying some of what they experienced. As much as we want to latch on to those experiences to say, okay, one of those items is what's going to crack the market going forward, rarely is that the case. It's some rhyming component to that, but it's rarely exactly what happened before. So you can't fight the last battle. As we look forward, we think that in many cases, the the risk is really around, one, some of these new assets and asset classes that haven't really fully formed, if you will. So there's not a lot of historical precedent nor data to support how they trade, the levels they will trade in, and even what valuation looks like. And certainly for an asset such as cryptocurrencies, it's very difficult to say, as much as we'd love to hold on, what looks like gold, feels like gold, or it's akin to the dollar or the yen or the euro, it's really not. And so I think one of the challenges there and what gives us a bit of pause Is the inability to really ascribe a core process or methodology around how we would value those assets or what we should expect from returns going forward? The other thing that brings us, that gives us pause and stands out is around monetary policy and the fact that we're now looking at an environment whereby all of the central banks effectively are monetizing assets. The Federal Reserve continues, despite tapering, to be purchasing assets at the, at the rate of $120 billion a month, which will be coming down at $15 billion, uh, pop over the next few months. But there's still an enormous balance sheet. And if you look at the ECB and even the most recent commentary coming out of the Bank of England, there's really not a desire to raise rate, nor is there a desire to get in front of these inflationary trends. And we worry that Will be a little too late by the time they actually step in and take more decisive action as it relates to monetary policy. What we know over time is that the human mind is one that it wants to wait until it has more data and more explanatory value before it moves forward. Unfortunately, many times that's too late. And so that's where I think we are concerned that given the level of monetary policy, the level of asset purchases, when things when we do start to see either um, a slowdown uh, in in out years indoor more inflation how they're able to manage through that
0: and an exogenous event brought the world and capital markets to where we are today while it's impossible to predict the next surprise what worries you in addition to what you've mentioned so far i
1: think in addition to what we have what i've already mentioned and what we talk about quite a bit as an organization is around What's around the next corner and, and where are assets overpriced, overly valued, where you could actually see a pop uh, in the bubble or conversely, structurally, things have changed to a very to a very high degree. So one of the things we've been talking about with our chief economist is around automation and an example. It's not as much an exogenous shock as it is a factor that will continue as we see wages going higher, labor costs going higher. The companies are having to choose to a certain degree between adding more labor or finding new ways to automate. And over time, that's a difficult conversation because if you can automate more, that's certainly better for many of the shareholders and certain stakeholders, but it does limit the amount of of additional labor that is needed. And so th- that's a place where, as we think about you know, the next surprise, that's almost a tipping point element where you get to that point where it becomes much more efficient to add CapEx, add automation, and remove labor from the system. And you don't realize you're at a, at a tipping point in a, in a surprise or anxiety or shock until you're right in the middle of it. Um, and so that's one of the places that we continue to talk about and try to, to work with our chief economists around what, what could that look like? What could the impact be? And then in addition, China. And just in the last few months, what we've seen out of China, and I've had the good fortune of traveling over there a few times and been involved with some investment groups over there and the CFA Society, things change so quickly as it relates to regulatory from a policy framework. And what we've seen thus far is that there is a new wind blowing and how to really ascribe or put, put expectations around that is difficult to do. But what we do know is it seems to be tightening. Tightening. I think it could be very impactful since China has been such a growth engine for the emerging market. So that's another place that gives us pause.
0: Does the communication mechanisms that are used today allow you to communicate better with clients and investors on a worldwide basis?
1: Without a doubt. We feel very blessed with the amount of technology that we have at our disposal and the venues that we have at our disposal in terms of interacting with clients today. It doesn't feel like that long ago that the only option was a conference call or in-person engagement. The advent of Zoom, Webex, Teams, you can interact with a host of stakeholders and interact in in a very robust manner. You really have the opportunity to engage with individuals, not just sending over via email a presentation or having one individual speak. It really feels much more like a virtual environment clients and other stakeholders feel much more invested in the process. They feel like they are more a part of it, regardless of where you are. To to speak to someone effectively any time of the day or night, have a virtual call. As we saw during the the depths of the pandemic and the concern of the pandemic back in 2020, it's incredibly powerful. And we think that that's only going to continue. And things such as podcasts. I remember meeting with a client a few years back and we were chatting about thoughts, our best thinking, where we wanted to position markets. And this gentleman was the chair of an investment committee and and over 80 at the time. And I said, Oh, have you read any of our pieces lately or printed out some of our, our written work? And he said, sort of looked at me quizzically and said, well, no, I just listened to the podcast you put out. I love listening to them as I'm on my treadmill in the morning. And it was a bit of a head scratcher for me. I hadn't anticipated that was not expecting that. And yet it reinforced to me that, You never know how people want to digest information, how they want to access information. So the more touch points we have in various communications, the better. And it allows a host of stakeholders to then be engaged in the process in a much more robust manner.
0: You have built an enviable reputation among colleagues. Many of our listeners would like to know what steps you took during your career to become such a success today.
1: Well, borrowing from our our music analogy, it's with a little help from my friends from the Beatles. And it really has been about building a group of friends, colleagues, peers over my career of really trying to balance as as Jim Ware and the group at Focus Consulting talk about in high performing investment teams, um, the EQ and the IQ. I think in our industry, we've focused for many years on the IQ component. We're analysts at heart. We have a desire to break things down. We lean into the quant and the mathematics of it. But what I've learned over time is the EQ is every bit as important in terms of building collaboration, in terms of building a career and maintaining those relationships over time. And it's just so important to have those relationships. I think about the mentors I've had over each stage of my career and the way in which Those individuals engaged with me and spent the extra time with me to help me find my path. I'd say that's really where the the success lies because, at the core, an investment firm, an investment career, and the investment industries, the assets go up and down the elevator every day. So, the more you can build relationships and have empathy for the folks that you work with, the better. And, And I think the more successful your career will be. So, it really has been with the help of friends with the help of colleagues and mentors, which is why I think the CFA program is so critical and CFA societies are so important because they allow that type of access and and exposure. And I think ultimately our business is about a compounding, not just of return, but of knowledge. And so I think that's what over time you'll find with the most successful investors is that they have this compounding of knowledge, this compounding of interest and engagement that then translates to success on the investment front.
0: What tenants you follow to build a winning culture? I think the
1: most important thing for building a winning culture is that balance of what I mentioned earlier around EQ and IQ. I think many investment organizations have as a base case that the IQ is the most important component, and it certainly is valuable. But there needs to be a balance with the EQ side of it. And Jim Ware and Michael Falk wrote a great piece for Enterprising Investor a few years ago. And it talked about that balance of power, if you will, between EQ and IQ. And I think if you can do that, I think you tap into the best of for investment professionals, building relationships, which are the soft side of it, and then IQ. Hard hard skills of quantitative work, mathematic work, valuations, modeling, and having that inherent balance of the two. Because I think over time, you can be successful from an investment perspective in the short run with only one. But I think over the long term, to be a high-performing investment team, you really have to have both. And it comes down to then that process orientation. And much of the work that Daniel Kahneman did, and if you've read Thinking fast and slow or noise around how do you eliminate the noise? I think if you build a high performing investment team and you build in the EQ and the IQ, you have a sustainable winning culture that can get through a lot of the downtimes. Uh, sitting as a portfolio manager of a small cap value fund in November, December of 1999 was not pleasant. It's where you're beating your head against the wall, questioning whether you really even know how to invest anymore. But in many cases, it's getting to the other side of that. You can't do that with just the IQ. You really have to have the EQ side of it as well. So I think that that's my personal take on a winning culture and the collaboration that is required for an investment organization to be successful over time.
0: Thank you so much for your time, Alan.
1: Well, it's been a pleasure, Pedro. It's always a pleasure to speak with groups such as CFA Society and and have the opportunity to to speak with another professional who's worked with over many years.
0: There's no doubt that watching the markets will be exciting in the years to come. We appreciate you sharing your insights with us. To all our NC15 listeners, we appreciate your support. We look forward to bringing you the best leaders. This podcast was recorded on November 9th, 2021. The commentary expressed during this podcast are statements of the speaker's opinion, are intended only for informational purposes, and are not formal or binding opinions of Regents Bank. Its parent company, Regions Financial Corporation, or its subsidiaries. For Regions Bank's complete disclosures pertaining to this podcast, please refer to this podcast blog post description located at slash blog.
2: Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate us on your favorite service provider. We love hearing your thoughts and it will help others find us. Also, a reminder, Past performance is no guarantee of future results. This material may contain an assessment of the market and economic environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. Forward-looking statements are subject to certain risks and uncertainties. Actual results, performance, or achievements may differ materially from those expressed or implied. This is for general information only and is not intended to provide specific investment advice or recommendations for any individual. This material should not be considered a recommendation to buy or sell securities or a guarantee of future results. The opinion expressed is based on information from sources believed to be correct, but no guarantee could be made to their accuracy. The information contained in this report is not written or intended as financial tax or legal advice. You are encouraged to seek financial tax and legal advice from your professional advisors.